0: So,
1: what did we watch?
0: We just watched The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, a 1939 film starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce, directed by Alfred L. Worker.
1: Also stars Ida Lupino, a pretty well-known actress from the period who went on to uh, direct a number of socially conscious films uh, in the 40s and 50s.
0: She sounds pretty cool. Um.
1: This was the second of the 14 films that Rathbone and Nigel Bruce did together. And it is the uh, second of the two, they, of the first two, mm-hmm. which was a pair they did for the original studio. Uh, the first two had higher production values, put a little more, the studio put a little bit more money into them. And the, these first two were also actually set. In the 19th century, and like the later films, which were done more cheaply and set in the then contemporary period of the 1940s.
0: Yeah, this is the 20th century film, or you know, I think that was the studio. It was 20th century. Did these ones?
1: But it was set in the 19th century.
0: Yeah, confusing. But uh, you've
1: confused everyone. i I've
0: baffled everybody, just like Moriarty. <laughs> Am I the Moriarty to your homes? Yes. <laughs> you didn't even hesitate at no. all. <laughs> It's pretty
1: obvious, don't you think? Wow. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, do you disagree?
0: No, I don't. I'm, I'm a little bit insulted that you didn't say, well, in some ways, I'm um, your Muriarity. Well, we
1: have to be honest with each other.
0: Wow, damn. Well, at least I'm not your Nigel Bruce Watson.
1: No, that's Lanny.
0: <laughs> Lanny our lovable dog, is a little bit bumbling sometimes. But anyways, so this is considered one of the better movies because it has higher production value, um, you know, a more interesting setting set in the Victorian age. um, And the actors certainly seem more invested in it because they're not, you know, 14 movies in and just coming here for the paycheck.
1: Yes, they seem to really care. They seem to be engaged. And this movie in particular, as soon as it starts, you can see the difference because it actually looks better. Mm hmm. Uh, the sets look more elaborate. They look more uh, realistic.
0: Yeah, I was really struck by this. Like, it looks like the difference between, like, a film and, like, a TV show. Like, like it, it's it's, it's striking.
1: It's like the difference between the, like, the special effects you'd see in a big-budget film and the special effects you'd see on Tom Corbett's Space Cadet.
0: <laughs> I don't even get that reference, but I agree. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to say this. Not only do the sets look better, but I think the actors look better here. They just look younger, crisper, more excited, uh more ready to dive into the material and establish these characters. They look like they're having more fun. Uh and I and I really am speaking of course about Rathbone and Bruce, who are of course our main stars who are with us throughout the series. Rathbone giving a very definitive performance as Sherlock Holmes. He is Sherlock Holmes for a lot of people. And then Nigel Bruce is kind of a bumbling version of Watson, kind of for, you know, get, getting all the yucks, you know.
1: He's not quite as bumbling in this film as he has in, is in some of the later films.
0: Yeah, they basically took a character who kind of in this film has a couple of awkward moments, but is generally relatively competent. Maybe he has a few off moments and made him like just like gonna get his foot caught in a paint bucket and then fall over and get like hoisted up a chandelier somehow. Like they made him so much more silly in later films. And in this movie, it feels like he can do stuff and it's not crazy to trust him with a big project. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're not, you're not suicidal. If you say, Hey, why don't you take this on buddy? You know, you can kind of trust him to do things relatively well. So how does this picture start? Well, we open up with the credits, which is just Sherlock uh, smoking some doobies. No, it's <laughs> Sherlock smoking his trademark pipe. And for some reason holding a flashlight. Did they have Victorian flashlights?
1: Looks like the flashlight was invented in 1899, a few years after this film took place. So you have spotted an chronism
0: <sighs> Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> I guess maybe you should describe the opening because you are a attorney at law and it involves a dramatic court scene.
1: Uh, Professor Moriarty is on trial and he is acquitted and everybody's unhappy about this. The jury is unhappy about this. The judge is unhappy about this. But gosh darn it, uh, they just didn't have the evidence. And then, of course, Sherlock Holmes bursts in just after the acquittal has been announced and says, I have the evidence. But like, where were you like five minutes ago?
0: Also, that's not how trials work. (laughs) You don't. (laughs) Yeah. Why would the prosecution bring this to trial if they didn't have all the evidence of the crime?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Some key
0: questions. And obviously the crime is pretty apparent because it's clearly a crime against fashion because Moriarty in this has a really whack beard. Looks ridiculous. What's wrong with the beard? There's nothing wrong with a beard. There's something wrong with this beard. Why but, were you looking at him and 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 recalling wistfully your bearded days?
1: When I was a younger man, I was known to wear a beard until... Uh,
0: People made you stop.
1: Until one person made me stop. <laughs> your
0: Unabomber cosplay came to an end once I came into the picture. That's right. Yeah. Also, you became less depressed. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been part of it, too. Started caring about how he looked. This looks like, does not really look like pre, pre-Anya you, though. He just looks like a, a guy with a weird beard that you know is going to be removed later.
1: Spoiler warning. Um, Moriarty without a beard? Uh-huh. How can that be?
0: I have a question. Have you ever been at a, at a trial where a judge said, God help us?
1: <laughs> you mean if the verdict went the wrong way? Yeah. You know, judges really aren't supposed to do things.
0: You're supposed to only do that in the sentencing, right? Where you get a little crazy. Anyways, Sherlock Holmes is Mr. Sherlock come lately because uh, he gets there too late to present the key evidence and Moriarty is acquitted. So Moriarty and Holmes uh, emerge into the torrential downpour. And like, I'm just going to say this. I'm a huge sucker for the idea. And I know it's a falsehood, but the idea of like rainy, foggy London, like in the old times, I love that. I love that aesthetic because I like rain and I like fog. So this, I'm, I'm This movie was like catnip for me because there's so much rain and fog and people doing stuff, and I'm like, oh, that's where I want to live.
1: So what about that appeals to you?
0: I like gloom. I like uh, gloomy weather. It's, it's cozy. It makes me feel like I, you know, I like the feeling of uh, rain, cold on my skin, and then kind of feeling a bit cold, and then going inside and getting cozy and warming up having a cup of tea, you know, I, I think that's my that's my happy place. If I like sun. I like sunlight, too. I like being out in the sun. But there's something... Do you? Well, sometimes. If I can go out and, like, have a nice day in the sun, I'll enjoy that. If I'm driving around the sun, I'm going to get a headache. If the sun's too bright, I'm going to get a headache. If it's creepy afternoon, really bright sun, I'm going to get a headache. So, sun is a bit more uh, of an enemy to me. And the gloomy... Wet weather is more of a friend. So I I enjoyed this setting, playing up the rain and fog and darkness of old London town.
1: (laughs) Uh, Moriarty and Holmes bump into each other outside the courthouse. What happens?
0: Uh, Moriarty gives Holmes a lift in his cab, which is nice because cabs are scarce in the rain. And they both have an exceedingly polite, threatening conversation in the cab together. Where it's like, I want to see you hanged. I'm going to ruin your life. Oh, thank you, sir. Like, shake hands. I mean, it's very, very polite.
1: Holmes says he loves Moriarty's brain. In fact, he loves it so much, he'd love to pickle it for science.
0: And I feel like this is kind of what I imagine the Holmes and Moriarty relationship to be like. Where it's like, sinister, we're, we're trading barbs. But it is polite. He will share a cab with him. And then go try to kill him later. Like, there's... There's a, there's a level of decorum.
1: Well, then Moriarty, this genius, he tells Holmes, oh, by the way, I'm going to commit a really big crime and, like, wreck your reputation. So tell me, Anya, why do you think this brilliant man would tell his opponent in advance that he plans to do a major crime? Isn't that a classic strategical error?
0: Arrogance? I wouldn't tell you I would just do it and I would win and I would break you. And you know that's true. So I'm, I'm not arguing, ma'am. I know. And yeah, he he I think it maybe it's arrogance, maybe they have some sort of weird unspoken rule of like when they're playing the game. I don't know. Maybe because I mean it's not like a situation where Holmes is going to look into it and be like, "Oh, I think it's this guy." And Moriarty's like, "No, it's me. Wait over here." You know, like seems kind of stupid. I guess they just need the plot to get started in the movie here.
1: Couldn't the movie start like five minutes from now with the scene of Moriarty uh, hanging out with his flowers or something?
0: Or, yeah, or it could have just started here, but they, they not, he not threatened him like that and just been like, well, I'll see you around, Holmes. And then Moriarty goes back home and then, yeah, I, I totally agree. It was, uh, it was unnecessary. It's kind of stupid. Kind of makes you question Moriarty's status as a top villain here, but- you know, I guess isn't that kind of what old timey villains in movies do? They they give you they give out details about their plans, they monologue, they, you know, warn people about shit. It's not not necessarily super strategic. Right. Kind of the convention of the time though.
1: Uh, Mariarty does indeed go back to his house where he has uh uh i guess uh is it a greenhouse yeah yeah yeah, greenhouse he has a bunch of flowers like nero wolf style Mm. do you have those in the books
0: i i don't think so i don't really think in the in the stories you get really to know moriarty beyond him being quote unquote the napoleon of crime he's not a very big prominent figure i believe he's only in like one story right
1: Uh, i think he's in the final problem in the valley of fear
0: okay yeah oh yes yeah he's in two So like he's kind of this outsized figure in the in the later adaptations of the stories because he's, you know, Sherlock Holmes is a series of stories where it's usually he's focusing on like one problem and then it never comes up again. There's not a lot of continuity. But of course, people seize on to this. Oh, my God, he's so smart. He's going toe to toe with Sherlock and, you know.
1: Yeah, he's much more a character in the pastiches than he is in the actual original stories.
0: Yeah, which makes sense because you know, if you have a movie, you want to have a big, big challenge, big villain. Um, but he, yeah, in this, I don't, I don't recall him ever being interested in flowers. In the in the books, but maybe I, maybe I'm just missing something. But you know, I think they want to establish him as sort of a genteel, sophisticated man. You know you'd almost associate someone caring about flowers with sort of being kind of sensitive or kind of having a green thumb and nurturing. And, you know, in this case, we find out that he likes flowers quite a lot more than human beings.
1: Is he supposed to be some sort of like mirror image of Holmes? Are they supposed to be like terribly similar? Like perhaps Holmes has Watson. We're going to see that Moriarty has a, a butler type character. Holmes loves his violin playing. Uh, That's how he expresses himself artistically. Perhaps Moriarty expresses himself artistically through his flowers. Mm -hmm. Is that the sort of thing we're looking at here?
0: I definitely think so, yeah. yeah, They're drawing some clear parallels. Although the butler relationship was just strange to me.
1: Well, we can talk about it. I I think we can also talk about the relationship between Holmes and Watson in this movie is also kind of strange.
0: Yeah, there's weird weird vibes all around. (laughs) They think so, too. They're all talking about it. It's
1: the talk of the town.
0: So I guess let's just move on and we'll, we'll get to some of those points as we come by them. Um, I really felt like overall, though, we, you know, like with the greenhouse, I was thinking like this film is so much more atmospheric than later installations, because I don't think you'd ever see like a big lush greenhouse in the later ones because it would just be too expensive to go and get yeah. all those flowers. It was just interesting. There's lots of little scenes like that where you're like, wow. We're getting something here that is not in subsequent uh, movies in this, in this Rathbone Bruce series. Um, okay. So one odd, one odd thing about Moriarty's house is some random flute player is hanging out. And uh, one of his henchmen <laughs> aptly points out this music gives me the creeps. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that that's going to be important later. And uh, Moriarty speaks about Holmes having such a restless brain and uh, when, when someone calls him out, like, do you want to, like, really go after Holmes again? He's like, always Holmes until the end. So he's very fixated on Sherlock in this one. He's he, Everything he's doing in this is just to fuck with Holmes. It, it's not to get any material gain. It's not to fulfill some, you know, long, long-term goal. It's to mess up Sherlock's life so he dies in disgrace. But, like, do you really think the public would be, like, if if Moriarty did something bad, like Moriarty already got acquitted at trial. Isn't that kind of Holmes's big failure? As opposed to like messing, like Moriarty gets one over on Holmes later and like, is everyone going to be like, ha ha, Holmes, you suck? I mean, didn't, didn't the guy already walk free? Like wasn't...
1: <laughs> Holmes already failed.
0: Yeah. I felt like Moriarty, you're just uh, spiking the football at this point.
1: And also, I'm not really clear how big of a figure is Holmes. How well known is he?
0: Well to the readers of the Strand magazine, he's a he's a he's a staple, I think. I don't know. I don't know I, what their I, circulation I, I, is.
1: In in this in this movie universe, is there a strand? Uh later there's a scene, I'm not gonna spoil that much, but he talks with a police inspector and he kind of makes it clear to the police inspector that if the police inspector does what Holmes suggests. he could probably get some good press coverage out of it. And Holmes will stay out of the press coverage. And that's the way I always saw Holmes as operating largely behind the scenes. Uh, so how big of a figure is he?
0: I always think, like, not very big. Like that sh- That's how Holmes should be. Should be not super huge. But should be relatively well known to people who want to figure out like problems in in the london area or even beyond like like a good niche kind of lawyer or something like that you know what i mean where it's like this guy's the expert on that go to him
1: so so how would crushing a person who's not really all that well known be terribly satisfying i think it
0: maybe 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 we misinterpreted it and thought it as like public humiliation, where it's more of like the humiliation Holmes would feel over, quote-unquote, losing the game to Moriarty, maybe that.
1: But like you said, he's already lost.
0: Maybe Holmes is less concerned with matters of the actual justice system, the legal system, and is more concerned with matters of like, I've been outsmarted or I'm outsmarting you. Hmm. More personal for Holmes as well as it is for Moriarty. But, anyways, oh, sorry.
1: I was like, Moriarty certainly does uh, understand Holmes well. He talks about uh, Holmes having a very restless brain. And so the way to get to Holmes is to give him stuff to distract him while you're doing what you really want to do.
0: That's what I do with you. How so? I always give you little Kevin tasks, (laughs) Kevin tasks to complete while I am uh, scheming.
1: You're very Moriarty-esque.
0: Yes, yes. I'm tending to my flowers now and yelling at my uh, frail butler. <laughs> it's always awkward for everyone in the household when I'm yelling at our butler. <laughs> it makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah, it makes Lanny uncomfortable too. She's looking at me right now.
1: Actually, isn't Lanny the butler?
0: No, she's not the butler. How dare you? She's our She's our baby. Dawes is the butler, and he's a disgrace. (laughs) You're making the man cry. Oh, I'm sorry, Dawes. Yeah, I can never be Moriarty. I'm too nice. I would have like a Moriarty day and then like lie in bed the next day, like crying, feeling so bad about how I acted. (laughs) (laughs) I would not be an effective villain. What do you think?
1: I have confidence in you, baby. You can do anything you want. You
0: can think I could just go full sociopath if I wanted to. <laughs> you realize you've walked into a trap here.
1: <laughs> no, I. if you're you going to be honest, no, I don't think you could.
0: No, I don't think I could either. I think I could. T- well, I'm not going to say what his goal is, but I think I could do what his goal is in this. Without the murder. Like, I, I, would, I wouldn't have a problem doing something like that, necessarily.
1: So, like, a property theft?
0: A property. I think I could do a heist. If I was, like, for some reason really motivated to do a heist, I think I could figure that out.
1: You think you'd be, like, George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven? Sure. That's how you see yourself? If I was going to do... Pretty cocky.
0: I'm not saying I'd be that good immediately, but I'm saying if, you, if I wanted to be motivated to be, like, you know, a criminal on something... It wouldn't be like, so you'd be
1: like George. oh, Clooney. I'm going to
0: murder a bunch of people. It would be like, okay, I'm going to try to like steal some outlandish thing. And listen, I would probably get caught because I don't know a lot of things about crime. But I'm just saying that would be – I would try to be the Moriarty of property theft, not the Moriarty of murder.
1: And then you'd come in with your crew. And my crew, yeah. You're like Brad Pitt. Trusted crew. You're George Clooney.
0: Would you want to be part of the crew? I can't
1: condone this. <laughs> Why
0: not? Why not?
1: I, I think you need me to stay uh, out of it so I can represent you in court. Oh you God. you inevitably <laughs> get caught in this crazy hairbrain scheme.
0: <laughs> well, It's not going to work. So much for having faith in me. Well, now that I've admitted it on the podcast, it probably won't. That was your mistake. There you, you go. You're doing the classic Moriarty error I know. <laughs> of admitting your, your crime before you even commit it. I'm doing... <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> going on the record doing crimes. I'm just saying... I would, I wouldn't want to, I think his target, I think more, I'm just going to, maybe this is going to reveal, maybe this is going to get a little too political. I think Moriarty's target in this, in terms of property crimes, is completely acceptable to me. And we'll talk about that.
1: his target is the British government?
0: Well, no, yes. But it's some shit that they took. Who's the real thief here is what I wanna know. That's what I'm asking. So it sounds like it, sa- it sounds to
1: me like you're 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 saying, Kevin, two wrongs make a right.
0: I'm just saying I'm not gonna weep over something that got stolen getting stolen again. You cursed yourself. You you uh you killed the albatross, let it hang around your neck. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're a creepy Dave.
0: I know. <laughs> That's why you love me. <laughs> so, anyways, um, now after Moriarty declares his intent to trap Holmes into some like puzzle game, um, he threatens his butler for accidentally killing a flower. That's what we were joking about. His butler's name is Dawes. And Moriarty's pretty abusive to this guy.
1: There are other people yes. in this movie who are abusive to others. Yes. That I think you're about to get to.
0: We go to 221B Baker Street. Holmes is uh, plucking his violin, and Mrs. Hudson is bringing in some tea. Oh, Also, Holmes has a bunch of flies in a bottle and is plucking the violin at them. So, normal day at 221B.
1: Now, it's said on uh, Wikipedia that this scene was basically recreated in the Robert Downey Jr. version of the film. Yes. Which I've never seen, but I believe you have.
0: I have seen it. I I confess, I enjoyed that film. And I when I, when when this came on, I was like, oh, this is a familiar setup. And then I remembered that. So, yes, it is. It is recreated in that. So kind of interesting to see that I think maybe the, the Downey Jr. film got some flack for being kind of more of an action film and more kind of, uh, you know, a little bit definitely not what you're definitely maybe not like strict Holmesian kind of vibe, but it is interesting to me that they kind of took at least, at least kind of like knew their homes history enough to kind of reference this in a way I, I, I was this, was this experiment in any of the stories? I don't recall it, but I don't, recall it, may, it may have been in there, but anyway, that was interesting. I noticed that too. Um, Watson then barges in and, uh, makes fun of this kid named Billy who is their child butler because child labor laws weren't a thing back then, um, who's wearing a frock while sweeping. So uh, just pu- everyone's punching down in this movie in terms <laughs> of their relationships with others.
1: <laughs> so this movie is loosely based on a play. And when this was, pre- was done as a play, uh, Billy... Was played by a very famous actor. Do you know who played Billy?
0: Can you give me a hint?
1: You've definitely heard of him. Uh, probably one of the best-known uh, performers in modern times.
0: Lawrence Olivier, Charlie Chaplin. Yes. Oh shit!
1: Modern Times, baby. He was oh. a movie called Modern Times.
0: There you go. That's that's wild. That's odd. Yeah. Was, was Billy like the funny character who everyone was just mean to?
1: Uh, this is one of uh, Chaplin's first roles, so uh, he wasn't really known well known yet. He
0: was breakout. This is his breakout. Damn. Billy.
1: I think the guy who played Billy in this just kind of sank like a stone.
0: Wow. I mean, how, how can he do it after Chaplin, right? <laughs> how could you do it? And then uh,
1: I I was struck by... So Watson comes and visits with Holmes... I guess Watson isn't living with Holmes in this picture. He comes and visits with Holmes, and Holmes says something really interesting is going on. I got a letter from a lady who wants me to tell her whether or not she should go to a party. And so I've been really researching this woman. I've been researching the person who gives the party. And it's like, does he have nothing better to do with his time? We're told he has one of the greatest minds in all of England. And apparently it's very easy to reach him. And anything you reach him with, no matter how trivial or stupid or idiotic it is, he will devote all of his energies to it.
0: I I think the point, I think the joke here is that that's all true. But that, yes, if he's bored, he will latch on to anything. Especially if it doesn't make sense in a way that intrigues him.
1: Yes, he even says... Watson says, no, this isn't really all that important. And Holmes says, well, it is the very inconsequentiality of it that interests me.
0: I think that's why we, I think that's why we love Holmes though, in a way, because like when you think about it, like he doesn't get involved in something unless he's really passionate about it. Like if you recall in um, Scandal in Bohemia, the prince in that attempts to hire him and it's like offering him all this money and shit. And he's kind of like, blah, whatever. No, I'm not interested. This is kind of sorted. And then what gets him interested is like kind of matching wits with Irene Adler, you know? So I think, I think this kind of speaks to that where like he, he, it's like very inconsequential, but he clearly, he finds it interesting enough to kind of suck him in. You have a uh, Nigel Bruce uh, yelling, boh, <laughs> to mimic the violin strings so that's fun um and and it's just striking both of these performers are just so much more sprightly and happy than later later appearances in this film series
1: and Watson does not seem nearly as buffoonish as he does uh, later on
0: yeah they both look look and sound more put together Watson is half the buffoon he once was or w- will c- become. <laughs> And it's, it's kind of a little jarring. I think it's a positive difference, though, right? I think we prefer this, right? I mean, listen, I love a good buffoon. So I, I like Nigel Bruce clowning around the later ones. But I think this is better.
1: I'm not so sure because the other movies don't have as high of production values and the scripts aren't so good and the performances aren't so good. But in some way, they might be more funny or more entertaining. Yeah. This movie, I think it takes itself just a little bit too seriously.
0: I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But I think this probably for people who, I guess it depends on what you're watching it for. If you're watching it just to have a great time or whatever, maybe the later ones are a little bit more fun because they're much sillier. Um, I think if you're watching them and you care about home stories, you know, this isn't this isn't great. You know, but I, I think maybe this is maybe capturing some more of the spirit of the stories, than uh, later ones. So I, I guess it just kind of depends what you're what you're wanting, but I think there's something to be said for that for what you said. Um. So the the letter from the woman concerned about the garden party, <laughs> is is a, from a, a Miss Anne Brandon, and she just barges into this, into two two one B, because she's freaking out. She's really worried. She thinks she's been followed. So what's got her so worried, Kevin?
1: Uh, her brother got a note that had a drawing of a man with a bird around his neck.
0: It's Got some weird deviant art uh, <laughs> shit and in the mail. And apparently
1: her father once got such a note. And then shortly thereafter, he was
0: murdered. Left lying on the pavement with his head bashed in. Then Miss Anne Brandon is followed in by her fiance, Gerald Hunter, who basically says she's a dumb, silly girl for stealing the paper uh, with the drawing on it and running and wasting Mr. Holmes' time. So he's just establishing himself as the suspicious fiance in this right off the bat.
1: Yes, I think we're meant to suspect mm-hmm. that he may be up to no good.
0: I thought he was up to no good for sure.
1: I think you're suspicious of any attorney because because uh, Gerald is in fact an attorney.
0: Can't trust attorneys. Can't trust. Can't trust those guys. You know, get him out of here. That's what I say. This is a no attorney zone.
1: Because I think you're worried that an attorney may be too wily, even for your Moriarty esque brain.
0: And uh, Holmes, being ever the contrarian, tells this fiance guy that he's going to take up Miss Brandon's case because he interferes when he likes and whenever he likes. Or where he likes and wherever he likes. Or whatever. He likes to interfere. <laughs> he likes to go and fuck people up and get get all in their business. And he also thinks that Miss Brandon actually might be in danger here. And that her brother may be too. So Billy comes back in. He's a fancy lad now. He's got all these buttons on his suit and stuff. And he, he's told by Holmes to go sweep the rug properly again. And and just this movie is so harsh on Billy. Everyone's just roasting this like 11-year-old kid who's like their their child butler. And it's just like, what is, where is his family? Why isn't he in school, Kevin? <laughs> did you think
1: that any of this stuff with Anne and the flute playing, the, the crazy music and the person being, Anne being in great danger, did any of this uh, remind you at all of the speckled band or was that just me?
0: Yeah, that's some speckled van. Ba- speckled van, what the hell? The spe- <laughs> it had some speckled band vibes, for sure. Because that's one where it's like definitely like li- a life is on the line.
1: Yeah. So it seemed like they were taking elements from several different stories in the course of this picture.
0: Yes. Well, I know one of the, the uh, Conan Doyle books is The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, so I wonder if it's all the stories in that just kind of blended together. I don't, I don't know for sure, but... The fact that they took a title from one of those might, uh, might hold a clue.
1: Well, at this point, Watson wants to go out and have lunch. But Holmes says, no, you got to go out, do some investigation for me. You can eat lunch anytime.
0: You fat ass. Throws him out the door. Throws him bodily into the street. Maybe now's a good time to talk about a bit about the Holmes-Watson relationship in this film.
1: Uh, Holmes seems to neg on Watson a lot.
0: He negs on Watson a lot. He's pretty mean, which is kind of a little bit refreshing for me that that sounds terrible. But like I'm so used to watching the the uh, later movies where like Watson will like hit a button to launch a nuclear weapon into space and Sherlock will kind of be like, uh, what you going to do? What did I expect? <laughs> and in this, like Watson will make a small error and Holmes will be like, you fucking idiot idiot get out of my <laughs> sight you doofus and
1: and then he'll just pat him on the shoulder and say ah i still
0: love you <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's kind of it's very different than what i'm used to they're definitely not equals i think in the you know in the books it's like they're not intellectual equals but they feel like they're still kind of you know they're friends in this it's more of like what is going on here the vibe is so off
1: Yeah, and in the books, it's actually unclear how much disparity there is between them intellectually because they are are written by Watson, who can be a bit of an unreliable narrator and who one of his aims as the writer of the stories is to make Holmes look good. That's a good point. And so if I were writing a series of stories about our adventures and I wanted people to think well of you, I would make you sound like an absolute genius, and might diminish things I do to that, for that to serve that purpose. And so I always wondered if Watson was doing that to an extent. And actually, in the stories, there are times when Holmes says, "You know, you exaggerate things. You go for the melodramatic, blah blah blah."
0: You make a very good point, Mister Greenley. It's, uh, yeah, and, and and yeah, it's like they don't. I think sometimes. Her homes can be a little short with Watson in the in the stories, I think, or, or you know what I mean, or maybe you know there's elements of that, or you know, kind of like, oh, Watson, you don't see this, I could see it clearly, but in this, like, it's very, very much played up, but nowhere, but like it's weird because you're like Sherlock, you're like snapping at Watson over this, and like in the future films, he's gonna like nearly get you and everyone around you killed multiple <laughs> times per movie, and you're gonna be chill with that, so. It's, it's like, it's just, it's just strange. It's just strange to see. I think they realized, oh, it would be fun if Nigel Bruce was just bumbling around fucking things up and they didn't want to make Sherlock seem like too much of a, a a grouch, a grouch. So they just kind of were like, you know, whatever later on this, this version seems more close to the books just because, just because Watson's not completely stupid about everything and he still has... He's still competent in some ways in this, so this feels more like the actual Watson in, in the canon, you know. But of course, it's certainly more of a comical take than, than that.
1: Uh, in universe, do you think there's a reason why uh, Holmes grew less upset and more tolerant with uh, Watson's buffoonery?
0: Well, can we can we even say in universe because this is set in the Victorian era and then later it's set in the 1940s? So unless they're both Im- immortal. I mean, maybe it's just that you know, like when you're when you're new in a relationship, in any kind of relationship, maybe you're like more defensive, or maybe you're more, you know, quick to be like, "Hey, now that, you know, that, what are you doing?" And then like eventually, you get used to people's quirks, and you kind of just, you know, put up with it. You don't, you're not, you're not mad about it. Right. That works. There we go. So, uh, meanwhile, Holmes and Miss Brandon. Go to a museum to look up different birds. This is the hell that people lived in pre-internet. You had to go to a museum and look at a bunch of big bird dummies to figure out what the fuck somebody was saying in their threatening note sent to you. And um, Watson. Watson. Oh, Watson. Yeah. Watson,
1: meanwhile, is uh spying on. Uh, I guess he's spying on Gerald. Mm-hmm. And he sees Gerald uh, talking with Professor Moriarty. They shake hands and part ways. And so Watson realized this is kind of shocking, and it's presumably big news, but I think it's more shocking that Watson is, in fact, acting competently.
0: It's pretty alarming.
1: Because he observes this interaction between Gerald and Moriarty without Gerald or Moriarty being aware of it.
0: Even though he's whistling awkwardly and leaning against a pillar, it's pretty impressive.
1: Yes. And so Watson then, he's so proud of himself, he, he bounces. He's gone. He's gone. So, but what, what does Gerald do next?
0: Gerald um, meets with the brother of Miss Brandon, um, who is named Floyd and is terrified about how he's going to get murdered. And it's like, I don't get why he's talking to this sketchy lawyer dude instead of his sister, who also shares the same concerns. Like, they could have gone to homes together. So it just seems odd. Um, but anyways, the... Fiance is super, super dismissive of this guy's perfectly legitimate fears and then actually goes out and we see follows him while holding a gun. He basically is like, hey, bro, you know, just go walk home, you know, walk it off, shake it off. The guy guy leaves and then, uh, what is his name? Gerald puts a a gun in his, you know, pocket or whatever and follows him. So pretty sketchy stuff going on.
1: Pretty suspicious. Meanwhile, the
0: bird search. Meanwhile, in
1: another part of town.
0: The bird search has laid an egg <laughs> of success. What? They figured out uh, which bird they sent it. And you might have guessed it because this is a threat. This is a story. Historic- I made a joke about the rhyme of the ancient mariner earlier in this show, but it is an albatross, which Holmes describes as an angel of destruction for those who do him ill. <laughs> I just love that. Thing. Albatross. <laughs> Oh, we had to read this poem in English class in high school.
1: I've never read it.
0: Water, water everywhere, and all the planks did shrink. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. That's like the most famous line in it. And if you've ever been really thirsty, you get it. You get that vibe. (laughs) Very relatable content. So they run to find, basically, Miss Brandon, Sherlock, and Watson all run into each other. They get a cab, which in this case is a horse-drawn carriage, which is fun and they are rushing to find the brother because they're worried about his safety. And meanwhile, Holmes is pretty pissed off at Watson for not tailing the sketchy fiance, even though like he didn't really specify that he should do that. So I don't know how reasonable that is.
1: My question is this note that had the picture of the guy with the bird had a date on it, which was today's date, Mm -hmm. indicating that that the brother was going to die today. So since the sister and Holmes and Watson all knew that today was the crucial date upon which this murder would occur, why did they go to the museum? Why didn't they just go and hang out with the brother and protect him?
0: That's a really good question because they found out that the albatross is like bad luck, but... If the dad had gotten murdered after receiving a bird drawing, couldn't they just have assumed it was bad news?
1: <laughs> yeah, why not go and be with the brother until the date passes and then do your research?
0: Yeah, that, that, makes, that makes sense. It was fucked up. Like, literally, you feel like if everybody had just sat in a room with him for, like, hours and not let him leave, you know, didn't let him leave, you know, he would have been alive, so... That was a big, that was a bungle on Holmes's part, not Watson. There, I said it. I stuck up for Watson. Good for you. I will not have him negging my Nigel Bruce.
1: <laughs> you love the, the yucks that you get from Mr. Bruce.
0: Holmes says, Watson, I'm afraid you're an incorrigible bungler, which is definitely an insult I'm going to save for you later, Kevin. <laughs> and then, then the strangely pats him on the back and smiles so it's just negging in front of everybody it's very uncomfortable what's going on between those two i don't know but it's nothing good so meanwhile i'm just soaking in the great atmosphere of all the the fog and the horse's hooves on the cobblestones and uh some dumbass going you know the dumbass brother going in these misty foggy old london park and it's like dude you just got a threatening letter why why take a cab or something like god damn it but i really do love that old timey shit and i think it really added added to this film so anyway the brother screams in the darkness and you see all these close-ups on different you know london bobbies and people selling stuff on the street and people walking on the street everyone's freaked out and then, unfortunately, they discover that the brother is in fact dead. Yep, he died. We all saw it coming, and it's Holmes's fault.
1: It's Holmes's fault. I think we can all agree on that.
0: Yeah, and also the brothers himself. Like, yeah, I got all these threats. Like, let me just wander around in the dark,
1: in a foggy park. In
0: a foggy park. I'm not trying to victim blame. I'm just saying you're, that that's... you're doing a little
1: bit of victim blame. Well, you
0: know what, mate? That's not smart. That's not smart.
1: Shouldn't a fella have the right to walk in the dark in a foggy park on a bit of a lark?
0: Enough with the snark. So I guess, is it Inspector Lestrade or some some Lestrade-esque figure?
1: There's some Lestrade-esque figure meeting with Gerald, making wild accusations. He's telling Gerald, obviously, you beat this man to death, the brother. Mm -hmm. And Holmes comes in and says, well, actually... This guy wasn't even beaten to death at all; he was strangled.
0: Yeah. So the clubbing on the head came post mortem after he died. Gerald refuses to answer any real, concrete questions about why he was following uh, the brother in the park. He says he was trying to protect Anne. Anne confronts him. You know, it's all this, all this stuff. I don't and understand wh- why he wasn't just come. You know, it's it's sketchy.
1: It, it's sketchy. Watson, at this point, is going to tell everybody that he saw Gerald hanging out with Moriarty. And Holmes said, you know, I I figure Watson's going to tell everybody what he knows sooner or later because I have unbounded confidence in Watson's lack of discretion. And then he just shoves Watson out the door. (laughs) And Watson protests. He says, you pushed me out of the room as if I was a child.
0: I felt so bad for Watson there. He's so mean to him in this.
1: And then we have, like, another scene with uh, the woman and the lawyer. And, frankly, this movie had a bit too much of these supporting characters and not enough of Holmes and Watson for me.
0: Yeah. And, like, if you're going to have supporting characters, you know, pre- feature prominently, why not get Moriarty or some of the Scotland Yard people in there? Like, we don't need – I don't think a Sherlock Holmes really needs, like, a ton of stuff about the, the suspects or the victims – it really should be Holmes puzzling through it with Watson. You know, I I I completely agree with that. It wasn't like
1: there's people saying, "Oh, I wish we saw more of this vaguely sketchy attorney."
0: Yeah, it's like that's not why we're watching this. And like, obviously, you need victim characters and you need potential perpetrator characters, and they're going to be part of the whole thing. And and ideally, they should be people that you come to care about or you want to you want to see Holmes help you know save or something. But you know. They, they, they completely overdo it here.
1: And there was surprisingly little of Moriarty in this movie.
0: Yeah, they kind of build him up in the beginning. Of like, oh, we're going to be seeing him tending his flowers and his little plots. But nope. He, he basically butts out of it at this point. Which is a shame because I thought that Moriarty actor, he had, he had a certain intimidation factor about him. and Maybe it was his voice. Or maybe the beard. Maybe the beard. There you go. I'm going to regrow a beard so you can like try to intimidate me.
1: Well, maybe uh, I can go to try to have a whack beard.
0: A whack beard? Isn't that what you said? Yeah, it was a dumb-looking beard. Yeah, you do that to own me, Kevin.
1: <laughs> I'd show you. Yeah. I'll wear a very unflattering beard just to make you be embarrassed.
0: Ha, 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 ha. Well, then you'll receive no kisses from me. <laughs> <laughs> um, the So... Watson. I think we're coming up now oh, on what
1: may have been your favorite scene.
0: Comedic gold scene, yes. Ever. Maybe ever in all of cinema. In
1: all of cinema, in all of life.
0: <laughs> I was hooting and hollering.
1: This might be the happiest I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um. So Holmes is doing some experiments in the park to try to figure out how Mr. Uh, Floyd died, how this guy dropped dead. And why his skull was bastioned, but also he was strangled first. So he forces Watson to lie in the street to, like, I don't know, figure out some of the measurements. And so he's lying. (laughs) Nigel Bruce is lying in the street on his stomach, on his stomach with his face in his hands like a child sulking. And then some poor guy walks back, walks by and is like, do you need help? Do you need me to get a doctor? And Watson's like, I'm a doctor. What's the matter with you? And the guy's like, I- I'm fine. I just want to help you out. I was thinking of you. And Watson's like, oh, I'm fine. And he's like, why are you lying in the street? Are you hurt? And he's like, no, I'm dead. <laughs> and the guy just goes running away. And I loved it. Anyways, I thought it was fun. I was delighted. Love more of this energy in the film. That's what we need passers-by for. We don't need to focus on other characters. We just need them to have bizarre interactions with Watson that they'll be disturbed by for months to come.
1: I'd love to see a whole movie of nothing but Holmes and Watson doing inconsequential experiments that lead nowhere.
0: <laughs> yes. That would be fun. And, um, you know, the, the, the foggy backgrounds, again, are amazing. Um, so then they make a kind of an odd find, uh, Holmes and Watson do in in the park. What do they find, Kevin? They
1: find a chinchilla foot keychain.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> stupid. Well, I don't know if it's technically a keychain back then, but like it's like so. It's basically a keychain.
1: Basically a keychain, and, and Watson says, "What the hell is this? You know, fancy going out with a dead animal's foot hanging out of your pocket."
0: Fair. Yeah. Bad taste. Meanwhile, um, Brandon is praying over her dead brother, then turns to hear something. She hears something coming out the window, and she goes over to the window, opens it up, and it's some guy, like, (laughs) busking with a flute, and she's really freaked out by that because she must hate classical music.
1: Yeah, she's like, this music, it doesn't begin or end. It just went on and on. So, yeah, she kind of hates classical music.
0: (laughs) And then she plays the song. Once Holmes and uh, Watson come over, she plays a song for them on the piano. Holmes starts plucking it. So for the audience, truly, this song does go on and on. Meanwhile, um, Watson, Billy, and Holmes get into a big, heated family debate about the nature of the chinchilla
1: pop. And this, this, you say it's a debate. What happens is Holmes kind of with, like, leading questions... Gets Billy to say things that sound a little smart, which therefore makes Watson feel dumb. So it's like Holmes is trying to make Watson jealous of a child. Jesus. And he succeeds. (laughs) Because Watson gets all fiery. I don't know why you let that insufferable little brat come in here. So it's like, what is going on here?
0: It's nothing, as I said, nothing good. What
1: is going on I, here? That's
0: the mystery behind it all, but I don't even want to know the answer. Yeah, it's, it's very, they have a very dysfunctional family <laughs> dynamic. Um, meanwhile, they figure out that the music that is playing, uh, that, that was playing, that the flute player was playing outside of Miss Brandon's house was an Incan dirge for the dead. So it's from South America. Now it's here. And they got to figure out what's going on. Oh, meanwhile, we totally forgot this. So there's a second, there's a there's another thing that Sherlock is supposed to be doing in this in this movie, but he cares so little about it that we completely forgot it. Basically, he's supposed to help the star, like basically guard the star of Delhi as it is moved into what's the, star the Tower of, Delhi? of London. Well, I'll tell you after it's moved into the Tower of London, the star of Delhi is a giant emerald that was presumably, you know, stolen from the Indian people. And now it's coming to London. So they're going to put it, you know, put it where it is with the rest of the crown jewels. And, you know, they, they, they had some threats. They had somebody sent them a creepy note that said it's going to get stolen. So they want Sherlock to help them make sure everything just goes smoothly. But you know what? I thought it was kind of nice in this that Sherlock cares more about like potentially saving some people's lives than protecting some imperialist stolen gem. I thought that was cool. I think that's what we. I think that, that that's that's a good. Um, I feel like that would be like something that he would do in one of the original stories.
1: Let me ask you this: Do you think that at this point Holmes believes or even suspects? there is any kind of a connection between these two cases?
0: No. Okay. I don't. I think Moriarty pulled the wool over his eyes because you know Moriarty is behind both of these two things. And Moriarty seemed to know Holmes would care more about protecting human life than some crankpot, you know, potentially threatening to steal the stone. Meanwhile, we go to a weird scene.
1: <laughs> yes, right now, Moriarty is behind a straight razor getting shaved by his butler. How's that going?
0: He's goading his timid butler into slitting his throat, sort of negging him, saying, like, you don't have the balls to do it, you piece of shit. And the butler's like, oh, sir, it never crossed my mind. And it's like, what are we watching? Jesus. Kind of a parallel to the Holmes and Watson relationship. This
1: movie is all about unhealthy male relationships. Yes.
0: Have you ever had one of these things? Have you ever been a a butler or a Watson or alternatively a Holmes or a Moriarty?
1: I think most men have either been (laughs) the butler or the Holmes at one time or another in their
0: lives. (laughs) Which one were you?
1: I've probably been both. I've certainly been uh, a Watson. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I've been to Holmes. Do you think I've ever been to Holmes and treated someone else badly?
0: I don't know. Probably yeah. human.
1: Yeah.
0: Poor Kevin. I don't think many times though.
1: Now we go to this fancy garden party.
0: Yeah. Basically a miss Brandon was invited to this at the start of the film. That's what she was wondering if she should go to it. She is, uh, very worried to be there, but Holmes encourages her to go. But before that we need to go back i mean the, the point of the shaving scene was that moriarty is now clean shaven he's joined the clean shaven club kevin and everybody is immediately complimenting him they're like you look like your own son you look so much younger you look amazing is that what your experience was like have as somebody who had a beard for years and then went clean shaven
1: uh people were shocked and said, "I looked very different no one said i looked like my own son
0: <laughs> it's a weird compliment but did people you think it was a good different you, you like you look different i think they're just you look different
1: what do you think do you think i look better or, i think or... you
0: look much younger without the
1: beard would you say i look like my own
0: son i that's a no i i don't that's a weird compliment only the butler gave that compliment though like so that maybe that's why moriarty's so mean to him God does. Anytime you open your mouth, it's just weird shit comes out. <laughs> so anyway, back to the garden to party. The garden party. There's, the, there's the social magic. event of the season.
1: It was magic in the air. Uh, you can't please everyone. you got to please yourself. But go on. What do you mean? This garden party. People came from miles around. <laughs> everyone was there. I'm quoting from the song Garden Party.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> Went over my head so
1: i want you to cover the entertainment at the garden party because you were shocked by it and then you did like a double take
0: i want to be clear i have very poor eyesight and so sometimes i have a bit of trouble following what's going on on like a small screen and stuff will go over my head and also i just don't pay attention so (laughs) these two these two factors are important to understand so we this garden party big (laughs) event Guy busts out in a... I mean, like, just busts out onto the floor. He's the entertainment. This is what people came here for. This is a man in a striped barbershop-esque suit and a straw hat, and he's singing some song that sounds like it's one of the backup songs from the penguin scene in Mary Poppins, and Dick Van Dyke's gonna come out, too, and be singing in a bad Cockney accent. Like, that's the vibe... There's no backup dancers. It's just him out there. He's doing this all himself. He's a freelancer. This is his this is what he does, so he can try to audition for musicals at night. But <laughs> so I'm like thinking, Wow, what the fuck is this? Was this some sort of like weird shit that they like found funny in the thirties? And then Kevin aptly pointed out that it was Holmes. And I and I looked closer and it was indeed Basil Rathbone doing this razzle-dazzle routine, looking really happy and dancing around, and they're supposed to be Holmes, and I, I just, like, went cold all over.
1: Your face turned ashen.
0: <laughs> I was so embarrassed that I fell for his old Sherlock routine, and he also just looks so ridiculous. It's so funny. I wonder, like, Basil Rathbone was always playing, like, Sherlock Holmes characters or, like, villains and stuff. I wonder if he really was, like, Almost like a Hugh Jackman type, and just wanted to sing. <laughs> like <laughs> that would be kind of sad. It's, it's such a weird scene, but I loved it. It's like coming out and being like, duh, 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 Here's the song, and it's like, "What is going?" <laughs> Jesus Christ! You almost wish Watson was there to see it and like have it indelibly burned into his memory, so he could make fun of Holmes forever for it.
1: <laughs> Why? First of all, when do you think, like, Holmes developed this talent and ability? Do you think he has other numbers he can do?
0: I, I hope so, because what if they'd ask for an encore? Get out of here, do it again. Oh, I guess I'll just do the same one over again.
1: My other question is, Holmes is there in disguise because he wants to discreetly keep an eye on his female client to make sure she stays safe. So since he wants to be discreet, why is he calling so much attention to himself in such an outlandish manner?
0: Maybe he's like normally people think I'm like a fly on the wall, kind of a behind the scenes guy, but if I'm out in the spotlight, no one will know because they'll never see it coming with the old razzle dazzle. I'll hit him with my show tune songs and some jazz hands and nobody will be everyone will be none the wiser. Well, I guess it worked. It worked. I was blindsided and deeply upset. <laughs> it's so wild. And um, so, so then Holmes mm.
1: reveals himself to his female client. He lures her away from the lights and the crowd and into the darkness, and says, "You're in danger. Don't go away from the lights and the crowd." <laughs>
0: And then she, uh, the Miss Brandon, goes up to the uh, the son of the hostess, and ter- in a terrified voice asks, "Is this a South American coucho ca- orchestra?" And is she's staring at the flute player, <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, aren't they great? I love this song." Yeah. <laughs> Going back to a, a, a totally different plot, Watson is currently helping out guard the. The, uh, the star of Delhi and the guy who's in charge of guarding the gems is super pissed off that Sherlock Holmes isn't there. And in in, in subsequent movies, I think that that anger would be justified because in subsequent movies, sending Watson in lieu of Holmes is basically just disaster is going to happen. The worst outcome is going to happen basically. But in this case, Watson, Watson's fine. He's going to handle it. Is he? We see
1: that one of the policemen who's on the scene with Watson is actually not a policeman at all.
0: <gasps> is it Holmes doing the barbershop routine again?
1: Worse, it's Moriarty.
0: <gasps> That's why he shaved his beard. Yes. Is that why you really shaved your beard to steal jewels? It wasn't for me. Yes. You're a jewel thief.
1: Meanwhile, back at the garden party... Uh, the middle-aged hostess is encouraging Holmes's client to spend the night at her house. And she says, I'll go get you settled in, into your room. Uh, don't worry, no one's going to wonder where I am because no one ever misses a middle-aged
0: hostess. That would have been wild if she'd been the villain then. <laughs> no one ever suspects, I mean, misses a middle-aged hostess. So while Miss Brandon is trying to go to sleep, she realizes that the death flute song is playing outside her window Uh oh so like i'm not i mean if i were in that situation situation i'd be a screaming b screaming for home specifically to get his ass in there and save me and also just like making a ruckus so everyone in the house woke up you know and she's just she's leaving the balcony door open she's running around and then she gets a call from the butler saying some guy's out in the foggy patio to talk to you, and she just, without leaving the fr- the door open, just runs right outside into the darkness, into the fog.
1: Who's waiting for her there?
0: Holmes with a with another ragtime song.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, hello, my-, my
0: baby. Hello, my darling. <laughs> <laughs> my Coney Island baby. <laughs> 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 Holmes has uh, taken uh, g- g- joined up with some of the Scotland Yard guys and formed a barbershop contest <laughs> to everyone's dismay and horror. No, it's uh, in fact, it's the sketchy fiancé.
1: And he, he's like, you're acting afraid. Do you think uh, I want to hurt you? Because, you know, I don't want to hurt you. Although, you know, I don't know why I don't want to hurt you.
0: Yeah, I should want to hurt you because you're scared of me. What? Yeah. What a dick guy's a real dick it's like hey i won't tell you anything about what's going on and your brother just got murdered but you know i should be mad at you because you don't trust me anymore because i won't tell you what's going on
1: and i should want to hurt you
0: yeah but Ugh.
1: honey how about a kiss men Pfft.
0: get rid of them that's what, what? i What? <laughs> just kidding <laughs> this is just some like this is like some passive aggressive man bullshit though isn't it yeah yeah i didn't like this this guy now and then we see also a just the shoes, but a guy in really big shoes walking towards Miss Brandon. She's run away from the fiance. We hear he got he uh, the fiance gets hit on the head with something, and then we just see the shoes moving closer and closer to Miss Brandon. They look kind of like platform shoes. Was that just me?
1: It looked like platform shoes to me too.
0: Yeah, I'm like Stevie Nicks is coming to kill her. <laughs> stevie's saying (laughs) like a flute song drives you mad in the stillness of remembering what you had and what you lost (laughs) 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 albatrosses only fly when it's raining Barbers only shave you when they're playing. <laughs> Watson, he will come and he will go. <laughs> when the fog blows over your garden party, then you'll know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Love Stevie. <laughs> She's great. You look
1: a little bit like Stevie next.
0: You're so sweet. You know that's one of my favorite compliments. I do. <laughs> that's why you always say it. So, meanwhile, um, we finally see the, uh, the assassin at this point. And it's not Stevie. It's not Miss Nix. Is in fact, the flute player in the gaucho band who is... Um, I, I suppose Peruvian, if if there's an Incan heritage here. It, it feels very racist and stupid to yeah, me. Yeah. Is that fair?
1: Definitely very offensive. Definitely
0: very offensive. And he s- swings... Um, he, throw, he throws a bolas, which is a throwing weapon. You can use it to hunt and such. And... Holmes is there just in time to shove Miss Brandon out of the way of this weapon, and instead it goes around the neck of a uh, fancy statue, and then Holmes shoots the guy. So they they get from the uh, the the injured man that he was hired by Moriarty to do this.
1: Uh oh, pieces are beginning to fit together. Dun dun dun. So what's going on? Back at the tower.
0: Well, basically, at the tower, there were some shenanigans where they almost lost the emerald, but then they got it back because they tricked Moriarty.
1: Uh, he dropped it, but, yeah. he, but did they trick him? Because wasn't he still hanging out there in the dark? Yeah, but
0: the, the thing was they, they thought they solved the problem because they did prevent the emerald from going missing, but that was actually not Moriarty's plan. What was his plan? Sherlock Holmes pieces together... That Moriarty was not interested in the Star of Delhi. He realizes and references this crazy dude, Thomas Blood, who should totally Wikipedia, who is just doing balls to the wall stuff in the 17th century, like trying to steal the crown jewels. He realizes that he's pulling a Thomas Blood. Moriarty's going for the crown fucking jewels. It's prime time, baby. And so now you know it's prime time because Sherlock dons his Deerstalker cap. Even though that wouldn't make any sense, that was like a sporting outfit.
1: Game is a foot, baby.
0: Game is a foot. We're doing it. Game is a foot. Couldn't be more a foot. So uh, basically, this is a big deal. And like to me, that this is what I meant when I said I don't care. Like, listen, most of those jewels came from illicit, bad wars and shit, and you know. Stealing them from India. Sucks to suck. That's all I say.
1: So you're okay with this? You're on Moriarty's side.
0: I'm just saying that... I'm just saying that I appreciate that Holmes was more focused on saving this young woman's life than this Crown Jewels bullshit. Because that made the film have more... Oh, yeah, he's doing the right thing. You know? That's all I'm saying.
1: So they they get... Into this cab, this horse-drawn carriage, and Holmes is like driving it himself, just causing it to careen through the streets of London, and then it just falls over. <laughs> it's a big disaster.
0: I love, I love the scene of Watson and Holmes racing in this cab that they stole, you know, through the streets, with the horses going. It, it was, it was, I loved it.
1: So in the melee afterwards Watson gets arrested. <laughs> Holmes sneaks through the fog and Moriarty's up in the jewel up in the tower stealing the the crown jewels. Mm-hmm. Holmes goes up into the tower and gets into a big fight with Moriarty. And frankly to me it was disappointing that this duel of wits between these two great brainiacs evolves into just some stupid fisticuffs on top of a tower.
0: I agree. I'm going to say something that sounds weird. I thought this scene kind of reminded me of a similar scene in Walt Disney's The Great Mouse Detective. And I thought, have you seen that film? No. Well, then you don't don't hang your head in shame because you've never seen it. I thought that film did this scene better there's a there's a sherlock mouse and there is a moriarty rat and they've been doing all this psychological warfare against each other the whole movie and then at the end the sherlock mouse has ruined the moriarty rat's plans and the moriarty rat becomes who's voiced by Vincent Price becomes enraged and he they have a physical fight and it's like oh fuck you know (laughs) it's like he's been driven like he's been driven because he lost he's so angry that it becomes like this intellectual battle of wits is now dire for both of them and in this it's like you can barely see what's going on first of all and it's just two guys kind of playing hide and seek for a while and then kind of shoving each other around shooting it shooting a bunch of guns it's it's worse choreography. It's worse. It doesn't feel like... It doesn't feel like... You don't feel like, oh, Moriarty's just so mad that he's been spoiled again that he's going to just do a Reichenbach Falls kind of situation. Right. It just feels scattershot disorganized. I think there's a way to have a physical fight between Moriarty and Holmes resonate like a Reichenbach Falls, and that's what the... F- and great mouse detective feels like it got right. We should watch that. We'll watch that together.
1: Okay. but I'll give it a chance. I'm sorry I judged it too harshly just based on the
0: concept. It's it's pretty, I like it. I, I've loved it as a kid. But I'm just saying, like, this, I, I thought that had a better, like, climactic fight at the top of Big Ben. This is the top of the tower. But this just felt more like they were trying to fill up the rest of the time.
1: Yeah, I don't really like the idea of Holmes as an action hero.
0: I don't mind it, but if you're gonna, it's not his element. So maybe
1: his element is obviously song and dance.
0: Obviously, if you have a show tunes battle, a sing off, they go both go on the Voice. Whoever gets eliminated first loses.
1: Or like a rap battle, maybe
0: would you love to see? Holmes? That would be the whitest fucking thing I ever saw. No, I don't want to see that. <laughs> well, I would love to see it. That's, that's I hate those rap battles. A history thing on YouTube. I'm like, this isn't funny or good. <laughs> But, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I don't mind. I, I guess I'm more open to the concept of, a, I feel like I feel like a fight or, like, a gunfight in a movie, it's like anything. It should mean something. It should signify something. It should tell part of the story. If it's just there because you couldn't figure out how to have a climax, that's pretty ineffective storytelling.
1: And this fight on the tower ends with uh, Holmes punching Moriarty and causing him to fall off the tower to his death.
0: Ta-da! <laughs> Oh, man. So then it just jumps to Holmes and Watson hanging out in what appears to be like a pub, like a restaurant or something. Remember those? (laughs) And Holmes borrows some dude named Alfred's uh, fiddle. You know, he's trying to get the flies away from their food with his plucking contrivances. But then uh, Watson steps in and bashes the flies with a newspaper, and Holmes laughs like he means it. <laughs> oh, and we find out that Miss Brandon married that trash guy who scared her in the garden. In the movie. End of the movie. What did you think, Kevin?
1: It had great production values. Uh, the performances, by and large, were better than in some of the other uh, Holmes and Watson movies, but it was a bit tedious and dull, and there's certainly better movies with these characters out there.
0: I think trying to combine so many stories in one was to the detriment of the film. And I'll be curious to see what um, the Hound of the Baskervilles is like, because that seems like with this cast and this production values, that could be really good because it's kind of one story as opposed to several stories wrapped up in one.
1: Should we make clear that supposedly Moriarty had the brother killed and all that other stuff just, solely to distract Holmes
0: oh yeah this whole murder plot was just basically Moriarty dangling you know some fancy you know basically like when you turn a flashlight on and get your cat to like run at a wall and chase it this is what Moriarty was trying to do to Holmes so he wouldn't notice when he stole the crown jewels and freaked everyone out because he stole the crown jewels
1: so to me this movie is like a c plus b minus
0: and to me, like, the, the I mean, I'm not, I know I'm joking about, you know, like stealing the crown jewels and being okay with that. But like, to me, is it really a big deal if that happens? I know it's going to be a huge story and it's going to make a lot of splash. Do not get me wrong. I understand that it would happen at any time. But I'm, I guess I'm just saying, like, I don't think England's economy is going to crash. I don't think it's going to really necessarily affect the lives of most English people in a significant way so I feel like Moriarty was kind of being over the top about it when he was talking about it
1: I think you may be really underestimating the psychic or emotional toll something like that might have on the citizens of England imagine if someone's still like the Declaration of Independence in the National
0: Archives I mean if it was Nick Cage I'd support it probably <laughs> I, you, I love those movies <laughs> So basically, Moriarty went all Nick Cage on everybody's (laughs) asses. This is what happens. In America, we celebrate that. In England, they condemn it. (laughs) Those are the two cultures. So I think it seemed like they had a lot more fun making this one, too, just amongst the actors, so that was kind of nice to see. All in all, my take is that this adventure with Sherlock Holmes was a bit slow at times, but unlike our titular hero's song to the flies, it hit some great notes.
1: Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenley, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com.
0: You can follow us on Twitter at MysteryToMe. That's mystery underscore two underscore me underscore. And at MysteryToMe podcast on Facebook and Instagram.
1: And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at mystery to me podcast at gmail.com.
0: We're not teens setting up hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T O. Thanks, Thanks so much, much for, for listening. listening.